Borrowing a little bit of uh, lead-in music there from our friend Sue Jeffers. I know that's her song of choice that she likes to lead off with there on Saturdays. And uh, it's appropriate for tonight. It's appropriate for the day of Kavanaugh. The day of Kavanaugh coming out and showing us how it is done. I have. It's been a while since I have been enthusiastic for politics. Like, truly excited. I was jumping up and down, screaming, cheering, shouting for joy watching Kavanaugh's testimony today because this is a guy who knows how it's done. He knows how to take the fight to the other side. He knows how to seize the moral high ground. He knows how to call them out on all of their tactics and all of their BS and all of their machinations and throw it right back in their face. And thank God for Brett Kavanaugh. I, I can only hope the Republicans follow through on the conviction that they seemed to develop sh- slowly but surely as Kavanaugh got going, as he inspired them, as he led them uh, along the way. You know, his righteous indig- indignation was contagious. It caught on. It was like a bug. You know, it spread. It spread to Lindsey Graham, who, you know, I have never, ever, I can honestly say, There's never been a point in my life where I've ever felt inspired by Lindsey Graham, but I felt inspired by Lindsey Graham today when he finally unloaded on his Democratic colleagues in the Senate Judiciary Committee and gave them a what for when it comes to their treatment of Brett Kavanaugh. And it's it's just utterly fantastic. This is a guy who, the only word I can come up with for him is beast. He's just a beast. Like, he took it right to them. He didn't hold anything back. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't apologetic. You know, the things that Brett Kavanaugh did right include the things he didn't do. He didn't cower. He didn't apologize. He didn't grant the left any moral legitimacy whatsoever because they have none. He didn't talk about how nice they are. He didn't talk about how pleasant it is to be to have the, the honor to speak with them. He condemned them. He condemned them and he demonstrated the immorality of their pursuit, the pursuit of, you know, and it's interesting because watching this unfold on Twitter as I did today and, you know, watching the hearings more or less in their entirety, there were some interruptions I did have to work today, but, you know, watching it more or less, listening to it more or less throughout the entirety of both Christine Ford's testimony and Brett Kavanaugh's testimony. It was interesting seeing the reactions, the the partisan reactions, and the differences between the partisan reactions. Because one of the things that Jonah Goldberg pointed out today was that amongst Republicans, there, there was a broad consensus that Christine Ford's testimony was sympathetic, that the, it, it was delivered in a manner which taken onto itself at face value could be deemed credible. You know, we, they were Republicans for the most part, were willing to give her credit for the quality of testimony and the quality of presentation that she offered. No such benefit of doubt was granted to Brett Kavanaugh by the left. Brett Kavanaugh was mocked for his emotional display that he offered. He was mocked for breaking down uh, as one might when their life is being completely and utterly and thoroughly destroyed, as he described it, when their family is under attack, when you have to explain to your young daughters 
why their father is being accused of some of the most heinous crimes known to man short of murder. Uh, you know, not a, not a good circumstance as you're watching your career ripped apart. You know, this is this particular point during the, the hearing during the testimony of Brett Kavanaugh, where he went down the list of all the things in his life that he engages in coaching young girls, being a judge, uh, being somebody who um, is in a is in a mentorship capacity in young people's lives, and how each of those things potentially is over as a result of this process. How his reputation and his capacity to pursue his happiness and live his life and pursue his values has been ruthlessly and thoroughly undermined by the Democrats and by the left. You know, without any sort of remorse. And that lack of remorse was evident in how the Democrats responded to him. It was evident in the lines of questioning that they pursued after the tremendous stand that he took against them in his opening statement today. It was evident in the, the, the entire process from start to finish. Their complete lack of concern, their complete lack of empathy, empathy and sympathy and willingness to grant him any sense of humanity. You know, it's interesting. I got into it with a couple of lefties on Twitter today. And both of them made more or less the same argument, which was some variation on, you're not being very sympathetic, Walter. This was during the Christine Ford testimony. You're not being very sympathetic. Uh, and it wasn't even about Ford. You know, I had made some critical remarks about, uh, what's her name, um, I don't have it in front of me, but the third accuser, third or fourth accuser, this one, sweat Swetnick. something, Swetnick. Swetnick, she's the one who came up with the notion that Brett Kavanaugh at the age of 15 was the ringleader of a gang rape organization involving multiple parties, including 10, which she inexplicably chose to attend. She went to 10 subsequent gang rape parties where she witnessed gang rape. And the only thing she's done about it apparently is wait 25, 30 years to tell us now that it happened. And so, you know, I, I suggested, I think, rather non-controversially, I don't think it should be at all controversial, that I suggested her story is incredible and ridiculous and should not be taken seriously because it's patently absurd. And in response to this, I had a couple of uh, lefties engage me along the lines of, well, you're not being very sympathetic. You're being demeaning, right? Like, you're not, how, how can you demean the victim of sexual assault? Which I love that one because you're, you're taking your conclusion and making it the premise of your argument. You're, you've already concluded that she's correct. You've already concluded that her accusation is true. And then you're using that conclusion as the premise for your argument that I'm a monster for not sympathizing with her. You don't get to do that, that you're skipping the entire deliberation. You're skipping the entire point of having an investigation, the entire point of having a proceeding in the first place. We need to determine whether or not the accusation is credible. And what I'm suggesting is that what we know right now, specifically when it comes to Swetnick, what we know right now is that her accusation is not credible. It's the furthest thing you could get from credible. There is no aspect of it that rings true at all. And so I am treating her accordingly. This notion that I, I or you or anyone else has to be sympathetic and caring regarding someone who is leveling an accusation that has no corroboration and on its face strikes one as absurd and unbelievable 
There is no rational basis for that. And it's particularly interesting in a context where these same people who are rebuking me for being unsympathetic and uncaring and, and lacking empathy towards the like of Swetnick have no sympathy whatsoever and no empathy and are eager to demonize Brett Kavanaugh. Where's the sympathy for Brett Kavanaugh, right? Where's the sympathy for this guy who, after a lifetime of achievement, after a lifetime of, live, by all accounts, and I mean all accounts, except these most recent ones that have come out of nowhere, has lived an upstanding, virtuous life of public service and community contribution, has a family, has daughters, has a wife, has, has, done, has colored within the lines his entire life, gets to 53 years old, gets nominated for the Supreme Court, and, become, and once he's in, dragged into the public eye in a substantial way, is portrayed as a monster, has his reputation destroyed with the intention of destroying him as a person. Right, Because here's the deal. We have to look at what are the consequences of either Kavanaugh being correct or his accusers being correct. If his accusers are correct, then Kavanaugh's life is over, right? Like if he did the things he's been accused of, if he did one of the things that he's been accused of, then his life is rightfully at an end. He doesn't get to be, as he stated today, a coach anymore. He doesn't get to be a judge anymore. He doesn't get to teach the law anymore if these things are true, if any one of these accusations is true. So his life will be destroyed. That, those are the stakes for him. Now, if he's correct and his accusers are wrong, if he's correct and he hasn't done any of this, then... He's the one who we should be sympathetic towards, right? He's the one who should earn correctly, rightly, morally, earn our empathy. Because think about what, what that means if he is the victim here, if he is the one who's being slimed and slandered and having his reputation and his livelihood and his life potentially destroyed by people who are either mistaken at best or acting in bad faith, more likely, if that's the case, then he deserves our sympathy. He deserves our empathy. He deserves our support. So where is it? And what you, what you find here when you examine the argument, when you roll it back far enough, is you find, like I said at, at one point here, you find that the conclusion has already been baked into the cake. The conclusion has become the premise. The left has concluded that Kavanaugh is a monster. They've concluded that he's guilty of everything that he's been accused of. And that's their premise for judging us on our reaction. Why aren't you being sympathetic to the victims of sexual assault? Well, I would be sympathetic to the victims of sexual assault. If you show me some, where are they? I haven't seen any. We haven't demonstrated that that's what we're dealing with, right? To go back to Christine Ford, because as the day progressed, and by the way, I haven't mentioned it as of yet. This is Closing Argument. My name's Walter Atson. We usually heard on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, live streaming tonight on our Facebook page, Closing Argument with Walter Hudson. If you've tripped upon it, give us a like, set your notifications so that you see our posts when they pop up, and be sure to listen to us 9 to 11. Again, AM 1130. 
103.5 FM in the Twin Cities, your iHeartRadio app. As this unfolded during the day, my mood, I didn't start I didn't start the day or go through the first half of the day with the same exuberance that I currently have. The first half of this testimony, the Christine Ford aspect was 180 degrees the opposite in terms of how it went over and how I reacted to it and how social media was reacting to it. Because Christine Ford's testimony was provocative. She presented a a sympathetic presentation and she, she struck me as somebody who is serious, somebody who is educated and articulate and somebody who is, who believes what they're saying. And that, that is the difference between her and the other accusers of Brett Kavanaugh. Up to this point, Christine Ford seems as though as Brett Kavanaugh himself said today, multiple times, she seems as though she's telling the truth about an experience that actually happened to her, that she was in fact the victim of sexual assault from someone in some place at some time, as Kavanaugh stated today. What she failed to demonstrate was that it conclusively was in fact Brett Kavanaugh. We, we got nothing. Her claim gained nothing today in the way of evidentiary substantiation. There was no corroboration that was presented today. We didn't learn anything that we didn't know before about her claims that made them more convincing. And interestingly, it seemed very much as though that wasn't even the point. It really did seem like that wasn't even the point. As the Democrats, in particular, whenever the Democratic senators were taking their time, their five-minute chunks that they got to speak they weren't focused on the facts they weren't focused on establishing what occurred and when it occurred and where it occurred in fact they seemed pretty well focused on the notion that none of that matters they spent a lot of time talking about how well you can't expect somebody to remember something that happened 36 years ago except with 100 percent certainty who did it and how horrible it was like those are the two things that we absolutely positively can recall with with 100% ironclad certainty. Something horrible happened and Brett Kavanaugh did it. But as for all the other extraneous details, who else was in the room, who drove her home, how she got there, where she even was, when it happened, none of that's particularly important. They spent a lot of time trying to establish that narrative of, well, you can't expect a trauma victim to actually recall the extraneous details of who, what, when, where, and why. All they know is that something happened to them and who did it, right? Like that's really all you need to know. So they spent a lot of time establishing that. And then the other thing they spent a lot of time establishing was what a wonderful person Christine Ford is, how brave she is for coming forward with her story. And also how terrible women generally have been treated in the culture. And this is what Diane Feinstein led off with, with her opening remarks when she was uh, first allowed to set the stage. Diane Feinstein started off with remarks that were rooted in the statistics and history of how women have been treated when they have brought accusations of sexual assault against men. And in doing so, it, she wasn't addressing Brett Kavanaugh. A- 
at all. Like it, what Brett Kavanaugh was an afterthought in Diane Feinstein's remarks. What she was setting the stage for, the case that she was trying to build, is that men are bad. Men are bad, and women have been victimized collectively. And this is an opportunity for women collectively to be heard. And their spokeswoman is Christine Ford. But what's really on trial here is not the particulars of what took place in 1982, so much as what women generally have had to go through and what men generally have done to them. And in that, Feinstein was setting up a scapegoat trial whereby Brett Kavanaugh was to assume responsibility and blame for all of the sins that have been committed by men and have gone unpunished over the years in the United States of America. And he, he is to be punished not necessarily because of sins that we know without any doubt he has committed, but as a symbol, as a scapegoat, as a bearer of the sin of men generally, as a kind of bizarre quasi-Christ figure who's going to take on the sins of sexual assailants everywhere and bear their punishment as some sort of penance paid on behalf of women everywhere. Right. And this, of course, flies in the face of anything remotely resembling American jurisprudence, due process, moral decency, rationality. We don't punish people for the crimes of others. We don't punish a white man for the crimes of white men. We don't punish a man for the crimes of men generally. We don't punish you know, the, the son for the sins of the father or the father for the sins of the son. And this is kind of bedrock fundamental 101 basics of how the law and morality works in Western civilization. And the left, of course, stands against all that. And so for them, this was never about the facts. For them, this was never about how things actually went down in 1982 between Brett Kavanaugh, allegedly, and Christine Ford. This was about making the case. This was about sympathy for her in particular and for women generally. And that was the, the premise upon which they built all of their comments during the Christine Ford portion of the proceedings. Everything was about talking about what a wonderful person she is and about how brave she is for telling her story and about how horrible it's been for women generally. And it was about building this narrative that in order to, if you care about women and if you're sympathetic towards Ford, then you're going to come down against Brett Kavanaugh because that's, that's the right thing to do. Regardless of evidence, regardless of facts, regardless of the particulars, regardless of details. Now, having stated all of that, I did not find myself particularly encouraged by the way things went during the Christine Ford portion of the proceedings. Because up until Brett Kavanaugh sat down and gave his opening statement, my assessment was this is a disaster for Republicans. And up to that point, it was. It was an absolute disaster for Republicans. Because of a couple of things. One, the format. Inexplicably, they had decided that the best way to go about conducting business this morning 
was to go back and forth between the Republicans being represented by a female attorney, Rachel Mitchell, I believe her name was, a female prosecuting attorney who was engaged in a line of questioning of Christine Ford that I, I still can't tell you what the point of the questioning was. Like, I don't understand what it was she was trying to get after. You know, it seemed as though she was making these gentle attempts to try to poke holes in Ford's story and undermine her credibility. And she was failing utterly at every attempt. And because they had this format whereby a Republican Senator gets five minutes and then a democratic Senator gets five minutes and the, all the Republicans were deferring or delegating their questioning to Rachel Mitchell, what it, what it came down to or what it, what it felt like was like there was like somebody else in your room, somebody else in your living room has the remote control and keeps switching channels. And so it was like they were switching channels back and forth between a quasi-legal proceeding, something that resembles a trial wherein Christine Ford is being cross-examined by a defense attorney who's trying to poke holes in her story. And then every five minutes, the channel would switch and it would be a political rally wherein a Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate or a future 2020 candidate for president is giving a campaign speech about how horrible men are in America and the Me Too movement and how wonderful Christine Ford is and getting their their clips for their 2020 presidential bids and their, their general election bids for the U.S. Senate this year, trying to take the Senate from Republicans. That's what it was. It was, it was like two different proceedings happening at the same time and constantly interrupting each other. The Republicans were behaving as though this was a court proceeding, a trial, wherein it was going to be decided ultimately by some jury that was going to dispassionately weigh the evidence of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And they were behaving according to that mode of operation. And then the Democrats recognized it for what it actually was, which was political theater designed to accomplish two things. One, intimidate weak Republican senators, and we know who they are, right, in order to delay the vote, and then secondarily to find more reasons above and beyond merely intimidating the senators, to find other mechanisms by which to delay the vote. And that really came out in the second part of the testimony uh, where Brett Kavanaugh took the chair and gave his testimony. Because at that point, they were laser focused on this idea of him personally, Brett Kavanaugh, asking for an FBI investigation, the only purpose of which is to delay the proceedings, to delay a vote on confirmation. Because if he, if at any point he were to say, yeah, I think it'd be a good idea for the FBI, at that point they would have seized upon that and it would have been all about how, well, we can't move forward with the process because the, the nominee himself is calling for an FBI investigation. So I move to, uh, to adjourn so that we can initiate the FBI investigation and, and you know, then they just have to wait out. They just have to wait out the clock until the election. And find ways to continue. In the meantime, con finding more stories, conjuring more stories, finding more people to make accusations against him, and continuing to muddy the waters and build the case. Fortunately, Kavanaugh was too smart for that and didn't give them what they wanted. But obviously, this was their intent. Their intent was to find ways to continue to delay the process. And so, you know, that first half during the Christine Ford testimony, 
that first half of, of the hearing looked like an absolute disaster for the Republicans because they they did not have control of the narrative. They didn't even know what the game was. They were on a completely different channel, a completely different playing field. They were on a different planet rhetorically from where the Democrats were and what the, what the Democrats were working to achieve. And they just came off as weak tea, absolute weak tea. I mean, they weren't even talking, right? They had their prosecuting attorney talking on their behalf. And I get why they did. I defended on our program here on Closing Argument. Again, heard 9 to 11 weeknights, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. I defended their choice to have the lawyer speak on their behalf because of the optics, understanding that the optics of a woman being new, doing the, being the one who does the questioning looks better than having Chuck Grassley do it, right, or Lindsey Graham do it. But in retrospect, that was a terrible idea. It was a terrible idea because the, the, a lawyer is good for lawyer stuff. And this wasn't lawyer stuff. This was political stuff. And so you need politicians to do the political stuff. They needed to have a plan. And fortunately, they were bailed out by Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh came to the rescue as soon as he took the chair and with his opening statement. And the reason why what he brought to bear was righteous indignation. He seized and claimed and then defended the moral high ground. He stood on top of the moral hierarchy and he glared down with condemnation and wrath at the squirming, uncomfortable, revealed, naked Democrats beneath him and looked upon them with contempt. And it was palpable and it was powerful and it, it had the weight of truth. Everything he said had the weight of truthfulness to it. It had substantiation. He had witnesses. You know, as Matt Walsh concluded on Twitter today correctly, that the only person who had evidence to bear in the proceedings today was Brett Kavanaugh. The only person who had detailed accounts and documentation of what he did in the time in question was Brett Kavanaugh. The only person who had detailed memories of what took place during the time in question was Brett Kavanaugh. He was credible. He was believable. Now listen, I'll say this. None of what we heard today categorically disproves that Brett Kavanaugh did what he's been accused of, right? We're, we're never going to get to that. We're never going to get to the point where it's proven that Brett Kavanaugh is not a gang rapist or that he didn't hold down Christine Ford on a bed at some point in 1982. But then that's not the standard, is it? Right? He, he doesn't need to prove that he didn't do those things. That's not how the system works. It's the other side that needs to prove that he did, and they failed. They failed. And this is what, you know, when, when you talk about sympathy and who we ought to have sympathy for, the left is trying to offer the premise, or trying to offer the, the prism, the order of operation, whereby 
We choose who we're most sympathetic with. That's our starting point. Choose who is most sympathetic and then develop your conclusions and weigh the evidence based upon who you sympathize with, right? And so you have the likes of Alyssa Milano, who was sitting behind Brett Kavanaugh during his testimony, who was you know lurking in the halls and tweeting on social media and what have you during these proceedings. She showed up with her mind made up that Brett Kavanaugh is guilty, right? And so, and so she sympathizes, and this, this could be said of you know, all the Democrats, the entire left. They start from sympathy with Christine Ford, and then everything flows from there. Their determination of what evidence is credible or incredible is determined by their sympathy for Ford. Their determination of what testimony rings true or rings false is determined by their sympathy with Christine Ford. And their conclusion as to whether or not Brett Kavanaugh is guilty or innocent is flows downhill from their sympathy with Christine Ford. That's how their mode, how their operation works. That's their process. Now, what I'm suggesting, what I have the audacity to suggest is that perhaps maybe we ought to reverse that process. And by reverse it, I don't mean let's sympathize with Brett Kavanaugh and then judge the evidence and come to our conclusions downhill from that. What I'm suggesting is maybe before we decide where our sympathy properly lies, because, you know, just on its face, you could be sympathetic with either one of these people, right? You could be sympathetic with Ford. You could be sympathetic with Kavanaugh at the outset. But then the final determination of who actually deserves your sympathy, who actually deserves your support and your respect, who deserves to be, you know, deserves you on their side, is determined by evidence, evidence, and a rational consideration of that evidence, a rational consideration of the facts. And all I'm suggesting, you know, do I believe Brett Kavanaugh? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I believe Brett Kavanaugh. Do I believe Christine Ford? Well, to the extent that I believe something did, in fact, happen to her that resembles what she described, yes, I believe Christine Ford. But what I'm suggesting to you is that belief is beside the point. This isn't, a, this isn't a consideration of who do you believe. This isn't a question of faith, who you put your faith in. This is a question of what have you determined? What has been evidenced? What has been demonstrated? And the answer to that question is, insofar as is Brett Kavanaugh guilty of sexual assault, precisely nothing has been demonstrated to that effect. There's been no evidence. And in fact, the, the accounts that we've been presented with have been refuted as Brett Kavanaugh repeatedly reiterated throughout his testimony today, refuted by multiple people who were supposedly there, firsthand eyewitnesses. Like if anybody was going to say, yeah, this happened, these would be the people who would say it was happened. The people who Christine Ford herself says we're there, but all of them either say it didn't happen or say they can't recall. They don't have any memory of the incident. Nobody has said, well, you know, actually, this does sound like something that happened back in the day. The worst thing, the worst thing that has been said about Brett Kavanaugh, and this kind of gets into, uh, you know, another thing that the, the Democrats were going after, their pettiness, their vindictiveness. The worst thing they could say is, 
yeah, that guy got drunk. That guy had a few beers when he was young. Whoop-de-doo. I'll tell you what. I've. It's amazing how Puritan the Democrats became after Brett Kavanaugh blew their narrative out of the water in his opening statement. They became so petty and so puritanical during their questioning, you know, getting into, you know, what, did you drink? Did you have a beers? How many beers were too many beers, Judge Kavanaugh? Did you ever black out? Did you ever wake up with different clothes on? You know, like the, and to what end, right? Like what ultimately what they were trying to demonstrate is that is to, to plant the seeds of doubt that perhaps he did something that he doesn't remember, right? Like that's that, which even then, like, even if you were to establish that, like if Brett Kavanaugh did say, yeah, you know, I blacked out a couple of times when I was a teenager, which he didn't, he denied ever having blacked out ever as a result of alcohol. But even if he had said that, now what? Like, you you still haven't demonstrated that he's guilty of sexual assault. And so it was extraordinarily petty in terms of what they were going after. And the other part, the other thing about the Democrats that revealed just how underhanded and clearly biased and politically motivated they were was their repeatedly going after him, trying to get him to call for an FBI investigation. I was unaware that it's it falls on the nominee, the subject of investigation, to initiate FBI investigations. Well, Judge Kavanaugh, why weren't, why weren't you calling for an investigation? You could get this thing started. That was said multiple times by multiple senators. You could kick this off. You could get this started. You could initiate an investigation. Why in God's green earth would Brett Kavanaugh initiate an investigation of himself by the FBI as the subject of that investigation, as the nominee. It's the Senate Judiciary Committee's responsibility to determine how he shall be vetted, how they shall advise and consent. And he repeatedly said, look, I'll, I'll submit to whatever this committee wants to do, right? But that, that wasn't good enough for the Democrats because what they wanted, again, is they wanted a scenario whereby if he had said, I, I would love to, to see the FBI investigate this. If he had given any indication that he wanted the FBI to investigate it, they would have seized upon that as a political football to throw a wrench in the gears, stop the process from moving forward, and demand that the FBI do their thing, right? Thankfully, Kavanaugh did not fall for that bait. He was too smart for them. And they kept going back to it, demonstrating that delay is really what this is all about. Delay is the only thing. And that's the other thing that I loved about Kavanaugh. Not only did he go after the Democrats in terms of how the effect that their lies, as he presented them, has destroyed his life, destroyed his family, and really victimized him, that he is a victim in this process. Not only did he establish that, but he also wasn't shy at all about revealing their political motivation. He started off with that. He's like, before he even got to the accusations, this was the brilliance of Brett Kavanaugh. Before he even got to addressing the accusations against him, he set the stage by reminding us all that these guys 
were never interested in giving him a fair shake. From the start, before they even had a confirmation hearing, before they'd even had any sort of investigation or heard any sort of testimony, or before any of these accusations had become public, before all of it, as soon as Donald Trump named Brett Kavanaugh as the nominee, at that point, they decided that he was evil. They decided that people were going to die if he's confirmed to the Supreme Court. They decided that he was a, some sort of monster that had to be defeated. And Brett Kavanaugh laid all of that out. And he, named, he, he all but named names. He pointed to people in the room. He said, this guy over here called me evil. This guy over here who's sitting in judgment of me now and, and pretending as though he's interested in a fair process decided from day one that he was going to do, this guy came out and said he was going to do whatever it took to ensure I was not confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. That's the context in which we're having this conversation. Kavanaugh was very wise to begin there, to start with laying all of that out, and then moved into, these accusations are utterly absurd, and here's why. And so not only is he demonstrating that the case against him is flimsy, unsubstantiated, non-existent. He's doing so in a context where he's undermined the credibility of the people who are accusing him. They are obviously politically motivated. They obviously are only interested in delaying the process. And so what is that set up? By time he's done with his opening statement, by time Brett Kavanaugh is done, he's established his victim status, his moral superiority, his innocence, and he's revealed the politically corrupt motivation of his enemies, of his accusers and his attackers. And so when they move forward with their playbook, they just ended up validating everything that he had laid out by going after him with this, these petty inquiries into his teenage drinking habits and repeatedly trying, calling upon him to call for an investigation into the great big nothing that he had just laid out. They revealed, they confirmed everything that he had started off saying about them, that this is entirely political and it's all about destroying him and destroying the process and getting back at Donald Trump. It was quite brilliant. And he, he, he was a general today. He was a leader of men today, Kavanaugh. His righteous indignation, his moral clarity was contagious. It spread to Lindsey Graham. It spread to Chuck Grassley. Chuck Grassley found new life today in the middle of the afternoon. I'd never seen Chuck Grassley animated. I didn't know he could be. Somebody put a quarter in that guy at one point this afternoon. And the person who did it was Brett Kavanaugh. Because as soon as Kavanaugh came out of the gate, guns blazing, fists throwing, punches thrown, as soon as he did that, and he did so unapologetically, and he took the, the offensive and he became aggressive, the senators, the Republican senators, realized they woke up and they realized, ooh, we can do this too. This is an opportunity. We could take the lead. We have a narrative. And they started to push it. And then Mike Lee got on board, and then Ted Cruz got on board, and they, and they all followed the lead of Brett Kavanaugh. Make no mistake— Brett Kavanaugh was the leader today. Brett Kavanaugh was the man, was the point man who led the way, who showed us how it's done. And frankly, you know, I, if he gets confirmed, I'll be glad he's on the Supreme Court. But 
it might be a waste for this guy to be on the Supreme Court. We need this guy's vigor and his instincts and his ability in a more political role. This is a guy who should be leading the party in some capacity. This is a guy who should be a congressman or a senator or perhaps a future candidate for president of the United States. Because, you know, if, if and, you know, not to get, to get into, you're not going to hear any Trump bashing for me tonight. I'll tell you that much. Because Trump is the guy who gave us Kavanaugh. And I'm quite grateful to him for that. Well, How- Trump even said that he uh, liked his testimony and said he yes. would not withdraw it because of the testimony that he gave today. Right. I think that he was a moral leader, to, to your point, and that Republicans finally realized what was at stake when Kavanaugh began his testimony. Ultimately, my feelings, how I feel about it, I think, will be determined by if they vote and the outcome of that vote, because that's where the consequences will lie in terms of will this tactic work again in the future. Mm-hmm. So I, I am in wait-and-see mode about it. I don't think that we learned anything new today, and if you believed Kavanaugh, you came down on that side, and if you believed Dr. Ford, you came down on that side. Like the... There was no shifting today of I don't the, know about that of the uh, ideas and who was convinced either way. I don't know about that. I mean, there were perhaps in terms of you know the hardcore partisans, sure, absolutely. But the whole the whole point of today's proceeding, other than to try to you know score political points for the midterm elections and to set up presidential campaigns for the Democrats in 2020, which were obviously also goals, but the immediate goal other than delaying the process, was to convince those weak Republican senators, the Jeff Flakes, the Susan Collins, the Lisa Murkowskis of the world, to convince them to fold and not vote for Kavanaugh's confirmation. And if you'd have asked me at 12 o'clock, if you'd have asked me at, at, at going on you know quarter to one today, whether or not uh, Jeff Flake is going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh, I'd have told you no. Now, tonight, after Kavanaugh's performance, I'm walking tall. Like, I think he's going to get confirmed. I'll be shocked if he doesn't. It's possible that the whole reason this is happening is because the Democrats want to browbeat enough Republicans into not voting for him. Right. And I think that he still stands a fair chance of being nominated. Yeah, I think it's, I, I, I think it's more than fair. Because... What Republicans were looking for today, what Republicans were looking for was cover. That's basically what they were looking for. They were hoping that they would be able to come out of today's proceedings with with a confident ability to confirm this guy without feeling as though it was electoral suicide. And I don't see how you can come out of today without having come to that conclusion, that you, you have the backing of of the people on this. You know, the, I, I think there are those people in the middle um, who are going to look at this thing. And, I th- and look, I think Kavanaugh, frankly, Kavanaugh is indicative of the people in the middle. I mean, he's worked as a Republican. He worked for George W. Bush, and he's definitely a Republican and all of that. But he's more of an establishment-type guy. I mean, you know, you look at his background, you look at where he's come from, you know, this isn't he's not a a maga hat wearing middle class blue collar dude who is a is a huge fan of Donald Trump. He's a guy who 
frankly, the kind of guy who Donald Trump has criticized as being part of the establishment, part of the past. Um, and yet he has, he has come around and become in this moment, the voice, the face of the MAGA movement. I mean, he struck back against the swamp today in a way that no one other than Donald Trump himself has been able to do. I mean, he took command. That's fair. He was a command presence today in a way that only Donald Trump has been to this point, which is shocking. It's shocking on so many levels. It's shocking because of his background. It's shocking because of the position that he finds himself in, being a nominee for the Supreme Court. And it's shocking under the, in the context of being under a withering assault where his reputation is being undermined and being castigated and he's being torn apart as a person. For him to be able to summon the, the moral fortitude and courage and chutzpah to, to stand up to the forces arrayed against him and condemn them and shout them down. And, you know, there was a lot of criticism from lefties of, oh, he's interrupting the senators. Get out of here. You know what? Let me, let me make this point tonight. I should have let off with this. You want to talk about credibility? If you're a lefty and you're upset because Brett Kavanaugh got angry and you're upset because Brett Kavanaugh interrupted senators and you're upset uh, because some accusations have been leveled and are not being taken seriously, you have lost all credibility with me entirely. You're starting from zero today and you're going to have to earn whatever credibility you may have had previously back up. For this reason, were you upset when the protesters interrupted the proceedings today? Were you upset when the Democratic senators in coordinated fashion, when they huddled during one of the breaks and then came back with an audible play of, well, we're losing on the merits, so let's start interrupting out of order and calling for a uh, premature adjournment of the proceedings because we don't have some documents that we want, right? Did, did that tick you off? How much do you care about the about the sympathizing with the accuser when we're talking about Karen Monahan and Keith Ellison? Now, if there's a very evident double standard on all those fronts, then you have zero credibility with me whatsoever, and I don't care about your point. And this is this is the beautiful what, what you talk about Brett Kavanaugh leading and him coming at this from a position of moral authority and moral superiority and moral condemnation and righteous indignation. This is how he did it. He did not allow the Democrats to come at him from a hypocritical position. Like if they if they had already established that they didn't actually care about whatever it was they were questioning him on, he wouldn't let it stand. So that's that is the model that we need to follow. This notion of, well, you're not being sympathetic to people to accusers or to victims of sexual assault. Karen Monahan. That's my answer from this day forward. Karen Monahan. Juanita Broderick was there today. There was there was like a report about it. But she was making the point of, hey, let believe women, right? What about me? What about me? And that's the thing, is if you if you're not you've demonstrated on the left that you don't actually care about any of this stuff. You don't actually care about victims. You don't actually have sympathy for people. It's all a sham. It's all theatrical. It's all political. And that's evil. Like, that's not just, like, slimy. That's morally reprehensible. 
When you pretend to have a principle, but you don't actually have it, and you're only utilizing it for its political utility, you're a horrible person, and you need to be defeated politically. You need to be kept from any position of influence, power, or authority over another human being. You, your character is subpar and needs to be opposed. And so don't come at me asking me why I'm not being sympathetic. You don't have, you don't have the standing to question my sympathy. You don't have the standing to question my compassion or my humanity or my judgment. You have to earn that. And, that, and this is the position, this is the, the style of fighting back, of pushing back against the left that Republicans and conservatives across the board need to adopt and engage in. We need to all become Brett Kavanaugh in our willingness to stand up and to be authentic and to, and to point to the evidence and to point to the truth and to be unapologetic and to not accept the fraudulent premises that are offered by the Democrats and by the left. That's what we need to do. He led the way. He showed us the way today. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what happens tomorrow. I'm hoping the guy gets confirmed. And I hope that this whole episode stands as a model and a testament to us that this is how it's done. This is how we're going to be able to succeed moving forward. This is the thing to do. This is the way to take it to the left. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, 9 to 11 weeknights. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.